Hello and welcome to Living in Exile, a podcast for those who are in the world but not of the world, and in the church but not of the church. My name is AJ Farley, along with Amanda Hope Haley. I host this podcast. Today's episode, we're going to be discussing Nehemiah chapter 3. We're going to talk about the wall being built, and we're going to talk about why a wall sometimes is more than just a wall. Hopefully. Well, let's talk about Nehemiah if we are ready to move forward. Absolutely. We are looking together this morning at Nehemiah chapter 3, and in this section of the book, Nehemiah is moving ahead. The work is beginning on the wall being rebuilt around the city of Jerusalem. And so mm-hmm. do you want to do you want to set that in context or what should we do here? Sure. A little bit, I guess. Nehemiah has been appointed by Assy- by Assyria. Wow, that is two empires ago. That is wrong. <laughs> Nehemiah has been appointed by Persia. <laughs> by the British. I didn't go back one, I went back two. <laughs> Nehemiah was appointed by the Greeks. <laughs> yeah. Oops. Okay, he was appointed by the Persians basically to to go rebuild the wall. And uh, that happens in the first chapter. Some interesting stuff goes on there if you want to listen to our previous podcast about it. But at the moment, he is in Jerusalem. Last week, we talked about how he surveyed the wall at night, was trying to keep trying to keep his activities very quiet because he knew he was going to run into some political difficulties with some of the regional rulers surrounding Jerusalem. So that's that's pretty much where we pick up in chapter three with the actual building of the wall. And chapter three is a little dry, let's say. It's basically the only thing that's in here. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, yeah, it's very, very dry. If this is the chronicler at his best. Mm-hmm. Let's just say that. And it places and names and all that. But basically it it describes who was involved and then what parts of the wall they were busy rebuilding. And the point of it, I suppose, is to demonstrate that every single bit of the wall was touched, was either completely rebuilt out of nothing or repaired. Um, and then at the end of this, Jerusalem is, is completely enclosed again. So okay. that that's the, the broad stroke. Right. So this work is the significance of the wall being repaired. There was there was some um, obviously there's some some physical importance to this wall being rebuilt for the sense of safety and security that comes from being inside a walled city at that time in world history it was very important for you to have uh, protection and defense works in place but there was also a lot of symbolic importance for the people of Jerusalem to have this work get started again a lot of symbolic importance for them to see progress being made on this on this uh, work is that fair to say mm-hmm. sure um what what are you thinking of specifically well i'm just i'm just thinking in terms of you know when nehemiah comes on the scene the wall repair has been has the wall has fallen into disrepair and the only, and basically mm-hmm. the only thing that's going on in Jerusalem is the temple's been rebuilt, but mm-hmm. it's like people just stop there. It's like this plateau was reached where the temple got rebuilt, and then everybody just kind of went to sleep for 
several years. And so mm-hmm. it was important then for Nehemiah to to get word that the wall rebuilding had stopped and that and that folks were just kind of they seemed to be just okay with the fact that the wall that the work on the wall had stopped and people in Jerusalem seemed to be indifferent. And so when Nehemiah comes and stirs up the people and it's like instantly this sort of pent up desire to get this thing moving again takes hold. And so, mm-hmm. you know, the in, in passages talk about the people having a mind to work, the people having, they, they, they went at this with their whole heart and it was more than just them going to work. There was a, mm-hmm. they went to work, but then they also had like a, this was a quest that they were on to get this thing done. Is that fair to say? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm just yeah. going to boldly make that assertion, even if I'm not right. <laughs> You're completely right, I think. <laughs> How about this? I agree with you. I don't know if you're right. I agree there. with you. <laughs> That's right. I'm not going to let the fact that I'm not right keep me from saying certain things. <laughs> My life. I guess give us a little bit of background about the walls are not just walls the way that we think of them. Explain right. that for Explain that for the people. Okay. Um, when you go into archaeology, one of the very first things, well, at least biblical archaeology or archaeology of Levant or whatever you want to call it, um, one of the very first things you study are city walls. They they weren't walls like we think of them today as being basically yeah, a slab of concrete bricks going around with a swinging gate in the middle. Um, they were actually functional, they were buildings within themselves and they served a purpose in the city more than simply for defense. There were types of uh, walls. The most popular type of wall, um, especially around like David's time, is something called a casemate wall. I don't believe that's what's sorry. being described here. Can you? I'm sorry, can what? you use that word again? The You, you kind of dropped Case- out a minute. Oh, a casemate wall. It um, spells like spelled like it sounds. Casemate, and basically, if like if it looks like a Z, kind of, so that when the city is being attacked, the city kind of can't be, or the gate can't be crept up on by the people attacking it because of the way the wall is. They have to basically stick their neck out around a corner where they could be shot down by the defenders ah, without. Okay. You know, they, they, that's the way they were designed. So that probably is not the type of wall that's going on here. What we have here is, at one point I believe it's described as a broad wall. And okay. so we probably had was a thick wall going around, but within the wall itself would be rooms. And in some places, houses would actually be built against the city wall. So the city wall would also be the back wall of a house. Uh, it was both convenient <laughs> because it you know saved the homeowner's materials and having to put that that extra quarter of the house together. Sure. But it also made defense of the wall you know quick and easy um, because people could literally pop out of their houses and or go up to the second floor of their homes and look over the wall and see what was happening there. So mm-hmm. that was convenient on a lot of levels. The rooms in the wall come, they have the most importance the nearer they are to the gate. 
Okay. And gates, okay, so we've determined that the wall is not single, so you can't have a swinging gate defending it, obviously. You have to have something bigger and more powerful. So what they do instead is they build either two rooms on each side of a gate or three rooms on each side of a gate, and those rooms are large enough um, for storage. They act as silos, if you will, or gathering places. A lot of times in the Bible, translations will say the men met at the gate to do this and such. For instance, Boaz, when he goes to Mary Ruth, he meets the elders at the gate to um, to, to take well to take her from the man who was supposed to be providing for her. Right. So it's translated at the gate. That's actually incorrect. What the Hebrew says is in the gate. And uh. until really archaeology uncovered this, obviously in the gate didn't make sense because, you know, us translating that, we picture, you know, a swinging gate going into, I don't know, a castle or something, and that's not it. Right, gates right. were Gates were rooms. So, um, so yeah. as part of the gate structure, there would have been storage mm -hmm. rooms, there would have been, for lack of a better term, conference rooms or meeting rooms. And yeah, it, and that's a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. And you and you have the picture in the particularly in the Old Testament about the about these these gate meeting areas sort of being not courtrooms exactly but sort of may, maybe like uh, administrative offices or something like that where people would go to have their hearing and and have a decision rendered by the by the elders of the city that kind of an idea mm -hmm. they weren't they weren't courtrooms exactly but they would they functioned as sort of like uh, light versions of courtrooms, if you will. Sure. And depending on the city and the size of the city, the function of, of the rooms could vary. And Jerusalem is a particularly interesting case, I think, because you have obviously the exterior wall that we're talking about here, but then also the part of the temple complex is a wall structure as well. And it is also a roomed wall. And so when you're reading all of the descriptions of the rebuilding or even, even Solomon's original temple, it talks about rooms in the gate and um, how the king... You know, the king would go and worship for the people, or he could only go into the gate, and he couldn't go, you know, so far into the righteous part of the temple complex. That's okay. because there were actually rooms there. So if you're just reading it in English and don't have the picture in your head, it doesn't really make any sense at all. But mm -hmm. gates, they were, they were living almost breathing parts of the city. They were there for commerce. They were there for uh, judicial. They, of course, were there for defense. They served many, many purposes. And so you mentioned earlier something about how this was symbolic for the people to be working on it. It wasn't just symbolic of, yay, we're going to be strong again. It was symbolic of, yay, our city is going to be functioning. We're going to be engaging in commerce, maybe becoming more wealthy, taking care of ourselves, having rule of law. It's, it's, a, it's a much bigger deal than it looks like on the surface. And it's not just defense. It's almost like the vibrancy of the city is going to return because of this because of this work that's being done. Defense is the primary reason for the wall, but it's like, it's not 100% of the yeah. reason, it's 50% of the reason. And the rest you know, is spread out among all these, among all these other mm -hmm. administrative uses and commerce uses for the wall. Mm -hmm. It's interesting Absolutely. to me to, to think about, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 continue. Well, it was just curious, it, it's curious to me to think about private homes backing up against the wall or 
you know, yes. or, or shops backing up against the wall mm -hmm. where the business owner or the or the individual mm -hmm. homeowner. In essence, that makes it a very personal responsibility. Then the the homeowner mm -hmm. has to, you know, it's not just it doesn't become it's not someone else's job to defend the city. If my if my mm -hmm. home backs up to the wall, then it's my job to help defend the city. It's my responsibility Absolutely. To, to get up on the second story and say, yeah, we got a problem over there or <laughs> that kind of an idea. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I do. I do completely. The houses were interesting too. First, typically the the lower classes would build along the wall um, mainly for the – well, we think mainly for the financial reason of it, it saves um, it saved money to be able to, to build against the wall. But the houses were really interesting. They typically were two-story homes, and on the first floor was where the animals were kept. So your goats, your cows. AJ tells a funny anecdote about how he once teased someone <laughs> that <laughs> raised a cow on his postage stamp backyard. <laughs> that was actually happening in Jerusalem. <laughs> um, so the animals so the, would, yeah. I'm sorry. So, the, but like the ground floor was the was the livestock area. That was the barn of the house. Yes. That, okay. Yes. Uh huh. Do you have a question or a comment for the Living in Exile podcast? The best way to reach us is through our Facebook pages. You can find Amanda at facebook.com slash Amanda Hope Haley. You can find AJ at facebook.com slash AJ Farley Speaks. You can send us a message there, give us a comment, ask us a question, chastise us, criticize us, whatever you see fit to do. You can do it through our Facebook pages. Thanks. And so, I mean, obviously, that, that's where they kept the animals. That was the primary responsibility but of the area. But the benefit of that was in the winter, heat rises. And so the heat of the animals would rise and actually, to some degree, heat the upper story of the home as well. Also, the cooking oh. still, the kitchen area was down there as well. And huh. then upstairs would have been sleeping areas. And typically, the looms were kept on the second floor. So, yeah, it's it, it, that particular detail I think also brings new light to the idea of Jesus and I mean we're, we're coming into the Christmas season Jesus in Bethlehem being born in a manger no room at the inn what it likely was was they were in Bethlehem and um, Jews have the policy of whenever a stranger comes into the city if they ask for lodging you're required to give it to them well you know, Mary and Joseph go up to a house for whatever reason they are not given hospitality or the answer is you know yes you can stay here but you have to stay on the first floor so they're actually in the first floor of a home with animals it's not mm -hmm. like they walked up to you know a motel six and you know were kicked out to the silo behind back they were actually in the lower floor of someone's home and that's you know where well, where Jesus was born basically it wasn't an independent barn structure. So the whole idea of because I've always, well, I mean, a, a picture that that I've had brought me, I guess, from my childhood was that was the notion of this might have been out back, like in a cave, perhaps, or something along those lines. But you're saying it could be like the ground floor of the structure, mm -hmm. 
as if everybody in Jerusalem was running a bed and I mean, excuse me, everybody in Bethlehem was running sort of a bed and breakfast kind of arrangement where mm-hmm. you were expected to extend hospitality to guests, even right. perhaps strangers, because you recognize mm-hmm. them as brothers and sisters in this Jewish nation family arrangement. And so yes. Wow. So that yeah, that yeah. really is interesting because then the whole idea of you know the the idea of there being no room for them. I mean it it was very much the possibility that like physically every available space where a bed could be placed or a mat could be rolled out on the ground mm-hmm. in Bethlehem was mm-hmm. already used because everybody else who named Bethlehem as their home city was there. Because that was the decree. Exactly. Yeah. Why? And so, and I mean, there, there. If you look at um, the society of that time period, there weren't really innkeepers the way we think of them. More, you know, say in the King James time period, where you have, you know, your innkeeper who yeah. also in the end is, you know, a restaurant that kind of thing. Um, I, I think that the English translation has largely colored vision of the nativity because uh, I mean yeah basically they were in the lower part of a house I mean you know that's it they just couldn't go upstairs where it would have been a lot more comfortable and a lot less smelly so, right. <laughs> um, so. what you referenced though about the cave that's actually um, that comes from an extra biblical source I believe okay. it. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't. Re- it's a gospel of somebody else. I don't remember which one it is. But um, there's a midwife there who was with Mary and delivers Jesus in a cave outside okay. of Bethlehem. So that's um, that's a non uh, non biblical tradition. But um, a lot of a lot of scholars pay attention to that. I believe that also happens. Not. At, I'm sorry. It's not Bethlehem. It's in uh, Nazareth. So just you know, right. slightly different versions of the story. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. Well, uh, that yeah, that really does sort of help give us a, a little bit different understanding, uh, a little bit more complete mm-hmm. understanding of the birth of mm-hmm. Christ, but then also the you know the picture of what's going on here in Jerusalem as far as these walls being rebuilt and the importance that the people of Jerusalem would have assigned to those walls. It's not just for the defense of the city, but it's it's like everything about their city coming back to life because these walls are being built. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, one of the other things that's sort of, it's not, well, as Nehemiah identifies it, he talks about um, different folks having different, they're doing the work on their section of the wall, like families working on their section of the wall, the Levites working on their Mm -hmm. section. Give us some idea Mm -hmm. of how that, how that sort of laid out. Okay. Well, if you if you look through, I in my Bible went through and underlined just the different groups of people who were listed. It's a lot of families. So and so sons, so and so sons. You have the men, the, uh, the men from Tekoa, uh, men from Gibeon and Mizpah. So you have people from outlying cities coming in. You have family groups. You also have guilds. Uh, so there's Uziel the goldsmith who is mentioned and Hananiah the perfumer. Presumably it wasn't just those men, but they were the, the heads of guilds who were involved. Um, but if you start at the very, very beginning in the first chapter, it says the high priest was leading the priests 
tasked with their work on the Sheep Gate. Well, the Sheep Gate would have been the gate into Jerusalem that was near to the temple that sheep would have brought, been brought in for sacrifice. So the priests were very concerned that that gate was built properly. Uh, because that's, I mean, that's the entire purpose of their life, <laughs> is um, serving God and making those sacrifices. Um, same thing with the men from the guilds. They're working on part of the broad wall. The broad wall would have been, you know, the, the longest stretch of the wall, most likely you have had commerce on it. So they're working around their shops, if you will. Um, that, that that's kind of what's happening here. That you, I mean, that's that's really what's being described in chapter three. It's kind of dull and boring, but that's <laughs> that's what's happening. So, but in essence, what that meant was each um, each family member, each uh, grouping of people, whether we whether we wouldn't say tribe, but we'd say family. I guess each family had their responsibility for their section of the wall. The, yes. Those who were engaged in commerce, they they took responsibility for sort of the financial district of the thing. Those who were right. Levites, they took responsibility for the section of the wall closest to the sheep gate, as you said. So, so everybody had their role to play mm -hmm. in their own portion of the thing for the good of the society of Jerusalem. At that point, everybody mm -hmm. had. Yeah. They were they were all cogs in the machinery, so to speak, and they all functioned to for the good of the whole. Yes. Okay. All right. And and mm -hmm. you know, of course, that brings to mind the the picture for us in the New Testament of the church and the way that the body uh, of Christ is to be. We are to function as one unit. We're to function as uh, as we each have a role to play within that body. We each have responsibilities. We each have gifts that we are to mm -hmm. utilize for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the of the good of the body. And so um, that I, I see, of course, it's not hard to see this. It's an obvious parallel between what happened there in Jerusalem for the sake of the nation of Israel and what happens within the church now for the sake of the kingdom of God. And uh, mm -hmm. it's just interesting to me to, to, that that parallel is so obviously right there readily available for us. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, another thing I notice is really how quickly all of this comes together. And I think it really highlights the strength of um, Nehemiah's administrative skills. Mm. He went to people and he pretty quickly identified what part of the wall would be the most important to them and he assigned them to it. He didn't, you know, try to make people you know, he he didn't have a priest working on, you know, the potsherd gate. And the, the potsherd gate, sometimes called the dung gate, would have been um the gate that the people of Jerusalem would have taken all of their trash out of to the burn pile outside of the city. You, know, right. you wouldn't put a you wouldn't put a priest working on that because he's a holy man who can't come into contact with, with such things. So he you know, a lot of thought went into this, but went with the simplest solution too in every way. What made sense is what they went with. He didn't try to force a structure down on something. Yeah, that's kind of neat. He, he gave people mm -hmm. tasks that were within their natural inclinations. He gave mm -hmm. the, the again, the people would have done the thing that would have made the most sense to them and he let them lean into the work that way rather than assigning them tasks that didn't make any sense to them. Correct. Hmm. 
Yeah, and uh, so you're going to do the best work on something that you you know you feel passionate about. Right, that you have an affinity for, that you that you already have an inclination to be doing. Absolutely, That's but then stuff. the way all of that together, you end up with a wall that every section has been built by somebody who cares about it. Um, so the finished result is the best possible result at the same time, and it's done largely with, well, ideally, it's done with harmony, and um, yeah, and you've got a, a great a great finished product. That's awesome. That's a neat picture to me, mm -hmm. uh, this notion of folks building building what's right in front of them, building where they mm -hmm. are, recognizing mm -hmm. that they that they they can't be it doesn't make sense for them to be involved in the section that's on the other side of the city because it's 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 not their neighborhood, it's not what they do, it's not the people that they're normally with. They're right mm -hmm. there where they're together. They have neighbors on either side of them who have similar if not exactly identical interests to theirs. And so mm -hmm. they're, you know, the they're they're working in conjunction with the folks that are closely uh, with them on either the right or the left, but ultimately they're building that which is right in front of them and getting and getting mm -hmm. that part completed for the good of the society, mm -hmm. trusting everybody else to be doing that same thing. Absolutely, and every single part of that wall, no matter what part it is, is equally as important as the rest. Because if if you don't have a complete wall, if there's you know a sieve anywhere, then mm -hmm. it's it's not going to defend as it's supposed to. So yeah, the potsherd gate that the trash goes out of is equally important to the defense of the city as the sheep gate that the you know holy pure sheep come through for sacrifice. Right. Or you know, the so there's or nobody's better than anybody else. Right. Or the commerce area or yeah. you know the section of the wall that's the back part of your house. It may be more important to you, but to the entire society, every single stone is equally important. Right. And the whole idea of the, the weakest link, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. So mm -hmm. everybody had a um, an incentive to make sure that their section of the wall was completed to the exacting standards that that they wanted everybody else to be held accountable to as well. Absolutely. I mean, if the wall's the back end of your home, of course you want it to be as strong as possible. You don't want your house falling down at the very basic level. <laughs> right. Right. I love the that picture. That's just that's really compelling to me to think in terms of I have my job. I know how my job fits into the bigger picture, and I'm going to do my job to the very best of my ability for my own sake, but then also for the sake of everybody else in this community. I'm going to do this work as well as I possibly can because I owe that to everybody else in this community. That's right. Hmm. And everybody stuck to that, too. Everyone had a designated task, including Nehemiah. His designated task was overseeing all of this. But you didn't end up with, uh, what's the expression, um, too many cooks in the kitchen? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, because I mean, everybody stuck to what they were supposed to be doing. No one was pulled out of their area of comfort. I mean, I, you know, maybe I have a talent for music. Um, you know, you're probably not going to want me, I don't know, doing the bookkeeping for the church. Mm. You know, let the person, if, if possible, God intends for us to serve in our areas of talent and the areas of talent that he has given to us. Mm. Of course, there are times when we're pulled out of our comfort zones. But I think this is an indication of how beautifully God's plan can work when everyone is on task and working for the kingdom together. And in this case, yes, the kingdom of God, but also, I mean, the city of Jerusalem and that idea of a kingdom as well. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and use that to segue in then to the good news for the exiles today. 
What do you? Okay. Um, how do you see? How do you see this having application for us today? Um, I see that. Well, basically, we all have different talents, and I fear. Well, I know in the church, it's even talked about in the New Testament that sometimes certain talents and certain abilities are held over others, and that's not God's plan. All of us are completely necessary for the proper functioning, development, building up of God's kingdom. He has a place for all of us and wants us to serve and function to the best of our ability there. And if it's you know washing pots and pans in the kitchen of the church, or if it's standing up and speaking on Sunday morning, each is equally important. To to the development of the body in some way. Absolutely. Even those quietest tasks are, um, mm -hmm. are in some ways, even more important than the uh, than the the person speaking from the pulpit on Sunday morning because the, the, it takes a lot it takes a lot of individuals pulling their own weight to make that thing happen. And uh, it's absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've been struck uh, by there's a, a passage in First Thessalonians that uh, that this reminds me of. Um, uh, let's see. Let me. This is First Thessalonians four, and I just want to read the paragraph where this is found. It's in uh, verse nine. Now there's no need for us to send you instructions on caring for your faith family, because God Himself has already taught you how to love outside yourselves, and it's evident you learned that lesson well by the way that you. Love all the people of Macedonia. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to love even more and make it your goal to lead a peaceful life. Mind your own business and keep your hands busy in your work as we have instructed you. That way you will live peacefully with those on the outside and all your needs will be met without depending on others. I just love that notion of mind your own business, lead a quiet life, keep your hands busy in your work. I think that the I think uh, the the people of Jerusalem benefited from the wall being rebuilt that way and I think that the church would benefit greatly from from folks thinking in terms of what they need to be doing rather than what someone else needs to be doing in terms of their service or in terms of their uh, the way that they're living their life. I think we're we get very busy these days concerning ourselves with the holiness of other people, um, yes, and and not our own, uh, not our own individual righteousness, and I think that's that's a problem. Mm -hmm. And I'll mm -hmm. stop there. <laughs> I think the yeah. good the good that's word good. is we are encouraged to be uh, mindful of our own affairs, mindful of that work which is right. right in front of us, and to be doing that thing to the best of our ability, and to mm -hmm. allow others to to serve alongside us to the best of their ability without us looking over their shoulders all the time. Absolutely. I'm nodding vigorously though you can't see it. <laughs> Trust us out there, radio listeners. <laughs> Those of you who can't see us now. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, what comes up next time, Amanda? Well, next time I'm going to tear all this down. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about the conflict um, and um, everything that went wrong while building the wall and being all happy and harmonious and whistling while they worked. Uh, yeah. 
It's interesting. Nothing can. We see these glimpses of things working exactly as they should, and everybody pulling together. And it's fascinating to us how quickly those things turn, how quickly mm -hmm. that changes, and we're and we're yes. back to conflict again, and we're back to strife. So we got that to look forward to. You can find Amanda Hope Haley at her website, amandahopehaley.com, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash amandahopehaley. You can find A.J. Farley at his blog, wornoutbibles.blogspot.com, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash A.J. Farley Speaks. Unless otherwise noted, scripture quotations are taken from The Voice, copyright 2008 and 2009, Ecclesia Bible Society. Thanks for listening.